It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is CEO Scott Armstrong. In 2004, Scott started CKA Capital, which acquired Fairhaven Group doing business as Brenhaven. Scott led the company to double-digit sales and profit growth, eventually selling the company to Gladstone Ventures in 2017. He remains the president and CEO of the new company called Pioneer Square Brands. Scott holds an MBA from New York University and a BA from the Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington. Scott Armstrong, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. All right. Terrific to have you here. You know, we kind of always start these with uh, learning a little bit about your early days. You know, where did you grow up and uh, what was your family life like? Sure. Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, my parents divorced when I was three. So, and I was an only child. So I had uh, the undivided attention of my, my mom. Uh-huh. As we traversed the 70s, um, she, uh, she was fantastic. She was uh, my best friend and, and uh, you know, my partner in crime growing up. Awesome. Um, Mom worked full time, I imagine. She did, yeah. She worked as a secretary and uh, that didn't pay real well, as you can imagine. So, you know, I have, I have memories of lots of potato soup for days <laughs> on end. And, but, you know, I, I never felt like I was lacking anything. You know, it's funny as a kid, you never... Those things just are not real. Right, right. And uh, was uh, dad involved in your life at all, or did he move to another part of the country? Yeah, he was. He was. Um, uh, he remarried. I would kind of spend every other weekend with him. Um, he eventually moved to Florida, so he was a bit out of the picture as I as I kind of traversed my early years. Who were some of the other early influencers in your life growing up in Portland? Uh, well, my stepfather came along when I was about seven years old. Uh, avid businessman, uh, definitely had a very strong, has had a very strong influence on my life. Right. What kind of business was uh, your stepdad in? Uh, originally, he was working for uh, Grand Tree Furniture, uh, uh-huh. selling used furniture, if you can remember that company. Oh, sure. Um, he kind of went through a, a, a series of jobs. He worked for Thousand Trails, uh, which was a, um, kind of a timeshare for RVs. Um, people traversing the United States and staying in different properties. Right, right. And eventually he went to work for Starbucks and oh, okay. uh, yeah, had a nice career there. Right. Early days for him there. Was he uh, yep. kind of involved with, uh, yeah? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And he was, was that an influence on your career choice? I know you had some <laughs> many years there at Starbucks as well. 
Yeah, you know, it's it, it was uh, it was an interesting uh, decision. I came back from living abroad in 2000, and it was a very good job market. Um, and I had five different offers, and one of them was Starbucks. And um, I remember telling my stepfather about this offer, and he said, "Don't take it. Don't do it. Definitely <laughs> had don't do it." He left already. Was he still there? Yeah, he was. He he had left. He had he had retired. Um, and uh, and of course, I took the job. Um, because I was fascinated by Starbucks. It was a great offer. It was an opportunity to kind of try the merchandising side of things after being in in brand management and marketing. And uh, um, sure enough, about a year and a half after I took the job, the president of North America was uh, left the company and they asked my stepfather to step back into the company. Oh my gosh. So then, so then here I am back in the company with him, which was a a fun experience for sure. I can imagine. Well, let's rewind a little bit. Tell us about some of the early days. Uh, were you a good student in school? I was. Yeah. Um, I would say I was a, I got good grades, but I wasn't necessarily a good student. I would, I would get into a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> public schools, private schools growing up in Portland? All public schools. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up uh, in a place called Portland Heights and attended a great grade school there called Ainsworth all the way through eighth grade. I'm a U of O grad, so uh, oh, okay. a, lot of, a lot of friends in Portland, familiar with those areas. Sure. What kind of things did you do outside of class? Sports, music, theater? Yeah, I was real active in sports. Uh, loved soccer, loved tennis, um, picked up golf eventually. Um, yeah, just I've always loved competition. Excellent. And uh, any um, sports teams? Did you uh, compete at the high school level and then you know get into sports in college at all? Or was it more... Uh, uh, from a fun standpoint rather than a you know competitive standpoint at the athletic level. I played on the varsity soccer team um, in high school, uh, but that was the extent of my my athleticism, unfortunately. <laughs> Didn't quite have the ability to make it to the college level. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think those those early experiences with sports are, are valuable. And Absolutely. I continue to play tennis five days a week now. And um, yeah, not complete without a little exercise pretty much every day. Played on the tennis team as well in high school. I did, I did, but I, I was uh, I was far down the ladder, shall we say? So I wasn't <laughs> on the traveling team. Well, coaches, you know, uh, can also have a pretty big influence on us growing up. I know that I had a favorite uh, one or two as I, you know, uh, went through my various sports. Any, you know, from your time during those years, uh, any coaches in particular or teachers that had a special impact on you, and if so, what that would have been? Yeah, there was a soccer coach. Um, that uh, had a, a a very strong impact on me. He was, uh, gosh, I must have been from like age ten to fourteen. Um, he was just this great, great guy, super respected by all the players. Um, he, you know, we we worked hard not because he asked us to, but just because we we respected him. And and he always treated us like you know we were we were kings. And and uh, and so yeah, I think that was a. A strong early influence to to see a leader like that who didn't have to scream from the sidelines, you know. We we just we just did what we had to do because you know we loved him. Would you describe it as kind of collaborative, cooperative approach? Was he, you know, kind of a I'm supporting you guys. What do you need? How would you describe his leadership style? Yeah, hundred percent. He was he was like, hey guys, let's you know we 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 want to win some games this year, right? So how are we going to do that? And and it was more of a team approach. Okay, well you're going to we're going to need to do this together and this together. It wasn't uh, you know it wasn't top down. It was it was we're a team achieving this together. 
And, uh, and I, I always think back to him as kind of a, you know, an early influence, um, on me as a leader. Learning about teams, that's important. Yeah. Um, were you doing any entrepreneurial things when you were growing up? You know, elementary, middle school, the paper route, uh, selling Christmas cards at, you know, that time of year? Yeah, actually, my first venture, this is kind of funny. My first venture was um, uh, related to me getting in trouble in school. What I realized was <laughs> back in my day, they'd make you write an essay. So you'd have to write an essay like, why I won't do these things, right? But what I realized when I turned them in was that the teachers never read them. <laughs> so, and everybody was getting in trouble, all my friends. So I would take my essays and I would copy them and then I would give them to them to <laughs> hand to the teachers. So I'd make a couple bucks selling essays. Selling the to, essays to yeah. your friends. Oh, so whenever, whenever somebody got in trouble in class, I was like, oh, great. There's another customer. <laughs> cool. Cool. I never got busted for it. <laughs> no, not to this day. <laughs> awesome. Anything else? Any other... Uh, entrepreneurial things, getting into the high school years, working retail, flipping burgers or anything like that? All the above. Yeah. My, my first job was in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, when I went to visit my father for the summer, it was hot as hell. Oh, goodness. And I, he got me a job working at Wendy's for the summer, Wendy's hamburgers. So I show up and they give you that polyester uniform that just you just feel terrible in it. And the guy gives me a broom and he says, go sweep the parking lot. Oh my goodness. And it must wow. have been a hundred degrees outside. I'm sweating. <laughs> and you match, poly I'm sure. uniform. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. But uh, but those are great experiences. You know, I'm, I reflect back on that job. I it was um, one time where the, the I think it was the district manager or the regional manager came through the drive through and he ordered a bacon cheeseburger. And it was my first day flipping burgers. <laughs> and I I forgot to put the bacon on his burger. And, you know, of course, he blew up at my manager. My manager came down and said, hey, you got to be more careful, you know, but uh, those are great experiences. Yeah, you know? you absolutely. learn about the details, right? Yeah, Business yeah. is a lot of times about the details, making sure that, you know, you do exactly what you say you're going to do. What did you do with that spending money? Was that stuff that was expected to be set aside for university or did mom and dad give you the flexibility and freedom to spend it on your own uh, yeah, that was pursuits? Most, mostly my spending money. <laughs> Good. And anything that you uh, particularly like to do, you know, were you a record collector, video game player? You know, where did that, uh, where did that spending money go in those early days? Gosh, I think it probably went to dating girls. If I'm honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> that could be expensive. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So uh, made the decision to go to school. It looks like you stayed in the Pacific Northwest, if I'm memory serves me well. Uh, was that kind of a foregoing foregone conclusion and mom and dad expect of that of you? Was it something that you, you know, kind of were more self-motivated about? Tell us a little bit about your decision to, you know, pursue that college degree. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it probably wasn't the, uh, the most, uh, educated decision. Um, I was a huge Husky football fan. There you so go. So that was a big part of it. We, I grew up watching Husky football every weekend and my parents said, here's a, here's a certain amount of money that we'll give you for college. And it and I, I had offers from some private schools that were going to be a more you know intense kind of quaint atmosphere, smaller classes, uh, places like Reed, for example, or yeah, others. Uh, Santa Clara University was one. Um, and and at the time when I just did the simple math, <laughs> with, with, the, X probably with the amount of money they were going to give me, <laughs> I could pay for the UW, and I could still have some beer money left over. There you go. So that plus Husky football kind of took me to the University of Washington. And what did you study in college? So I studied um, 
uh, I had a double uh, major in China studies uh-huh. through the Jackson School of International Studies and political science. Now, you lived in Asia uh, a little bit later, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, choosing China studies is kind of an interesting you know, uh, subject for a kid that grew up in the Pacific Northwest and spent his summers in Florida. What, what motivated you for that? Yeah, it was a couple of factors. One, I, I was pretty good with languages. I'd studied French and German in high school and grade school, actually, and picked those up pretty quickly and always did well in language classes. Um, two, my father had made some trips to China, and he always came back saying, this is the future. Like, th- this is going to be, you know, a huge part of business during he your lifetime. He wasn't wrong. No, he wasn't. <laughs> it, it, I'm talking like, this was like the mid-80s. I was going to say. Pretty yeah. early on. No, even late 70s. Um, so it was kind of a combination of those two things. Um, I just, uh, I figured, hey, if I can learn Mandarin Chinese, uh, then I'm going to be ahead of the pack because no one else will speak that. And let's see where this leads. And so it, it led to a study abroad program. Um, and obviously that experience in China and living in Asia uh, has definitely been important in my career. Awesome. So you did like a junior year abroad or what was your study abroad year? I did right after Tiananmen Square. Uh, the Yeah, it was uh, literally the, that August. Yeah, with June, Tiananmen Square happened in June. And in August, I went to Nanjing, China, wow. Nanjing, China. Um, and it was it was a very interesting time to be in I China. Can imagine. You know, people yeah. were not very open. There'd been a massive crackdown on the demonstrators in Tiananmen. Um, but I I met some great people. Um, just immersed myself in the language and oh, the culture of China. So it was very uh, good. Was your Mandarin pretty strong by the time you went out there, or <laughs> did it really become a much more perfected living in Nanjing? Well, it's, it, it's yeah. The, uh, the the way the University of Washington did Mandarin Chinese classes was they would grade on a curve, and all of the um, uh, about half of the class were um, American-born Chinese who grew up with grandparents speaking Mandarin all the time. So, so the ability to get a good grade in, in that class was was very challenging, and that was part of the reason I said, "Hey, I need to go right. immerse myself to really become, you. you know, get good grades, learn this language, and do well." So, so no, my my language skills going over were were not good. But I would say, <laughs> by the time I came back, I was I was able, I was dreaming in Mandarin. You know, you that's that awesome. Point. Yeah. yeah. Did you live with the family, or did it put you in a dorm when you were there? We were in dorms. Yeah, it was uh, two Westerners and one. Or two Americans and one uh, Chinese local uh, student. Yeah. So came back, f- finished up at uh, UW. Um, what was that first job out of college? First job out of college was uh, working for Princess Cruises. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. 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 So I was uh, uh, basically running tours from Seattle up to the Rockies and then back down to Vancouver where the, the people would get on cruise ships going to Alaska. So we'd be, we'd be with these 40, usually you know, senior citizens. For about eight days, and and there was a, a bus driver uh, um, and myself, and so I was the the public speaker. I was narrating on the their adventure, telling about what they were seeing, and then setting up all their dinner reservations and taking care of their any any concerns they had. Nice. Any leadership responsibilities early on there? No, just I mean, just just you know, dealing with the the, the constant. Uh, you know, challenges. Flow of, of customers. Uh, you were more of an individual contributor then. You weren't managing people in that first job. No, no, no. I was I was on the road, you know, four months of the year uh, leading these groups up to the Rockies and back. What a great job. I mean, for someone who likes travel and, you know, obviously languages. Did you have Chinese guests that came and were able to use your Mandarin at all? Uh, not often, no. That was usually, it was usually um, 
uh, Americans that were, you know, headed up to Alaska. Right. For and the then summer. Princess would sell them on this extra excursion to the Canadian Rockies. Any early uh, leadership lessons from uh, maybe bosses or mentors during those days of Princess Cruises? You know, I, 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 we, we had a fantastic uh, uh, boss who ran all the, all the operations managers or uh-huh. tour directors. His name was Mike Gallen. And Mike was one of these guys that y- you, just, you just loved him because he was just such a warm, friendly person. And, and kind of similar to my soccer coach, you know, it was very hands-off. It was like, hey, you're running this tour. This is your baby. You call me if you need anything. Here's the, your box of goodies. You know, you're on your way. Um, and so, I, you know, I think, again, that, that lesson was he wasn't checking up on us every night. He wasn't going through our expense reports to make sure we spent every dime appropriately. He was, he was just there to make sure that, that we had a good experience and, and that the passengers had a great experience on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Scott? Oh, very well. Yeah. Where yeah. was that? Uh, that would be at Starbucks. Okay. And was that right after Princess or you had the experience in Asia, I think, first? No, right? that was, yeah. So after Princess, I went to business school at, at NYU in New York. Um, uh, and then from What was there, your logic around, uh, ch- uh, you know, going to the other coast and choosing NYU? NYU at the time was ranked one of the top five international business programs. Right, right. Um, so that was why I chose it. It was the best school I got into out of those five and um, had a great experience there. Met my, my now wife, uh, Kim, and uh, together we left. When I graduated from business school, we moved out to Hong Kong and I landed a great job with Bausch & Lohm working on Ray-Ban sunglasses. I was yeah, a did they move you out manager. there or did you decide to move to Hong Kong and look for work when you were no, there? No, actually, yeah, I, I took my last semester and went to Hong Kong on an exchange program to the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and uh, used that as a six-month opportunity to find a job. Um, it didn't actually work. I, was, I, was, I graduated in June. I was uh, having trouble kind of making inroads and, and getting someone, because someone had to sponsor me to, be, to live in Hong Kong, right? And so it actually happened. I was on a, a basketball court uh, playing basketball with a bunch of uh, expats, and I met this this great guy, and he said, "Hey, you know, I need somebody who can kind of help me this bridge." This is in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's in Hong Kong. I need somebody who can help me bridge, you know, between the 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 cultures of Asia and China in particular, and you know, do this job as brand manager. Do you want to come on board? And I was like, yeah, "Absolutely!" <laughs> Very serendipitous. So, yeah. And, and uh, uh, so you were there. Did you join them as a local employee, or did you come in as an expat? How do they treat you? Uh, I was local. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. already living there. What year was that, uh, Scott? That would be '97. '97, cool, great. Right after, yeah. right after say, the that transition. Was right after it, it handed over, right? Wasn't it July of '97 that it they, was r- right before, right before that? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So joined them, uh, and and again, uh, was that in an individual contributor position to start, and uh, then managing multiple countries? From what I gathered, you also went down to New Zealand, Australia, from with with Bausch and Lohm, correct? Yeah, I didn't have any direct reports in the role, but I had kind of uh, uh, people who, you know, had dotted line into the brand management. Brand function. management responsibility. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we, we covered everything from Korea down to Australia. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. It was l- largely about rolling out marketing programs that right. were developed at the, the, the uh, headquarters in, in Rochester, New yeah. York, and then kind of implementing those across Asia. Great product. Been a, been a Ray-Ban fan for a long Thank time. Thank you. Me too. Came, came back to the States then and then uh, mm-hmm. took that job with Starbucks. And uh, so kind of had a team then. Did you manage people that were 
you know, kind of older than you? Was it uh, a peer type of relationship? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, all of the above. Um, yeah, came into uh, um, a division that, um, it, it's interesting, merch at Starbucks is a tough place because right. everybody sees it every time they walk in the stores. It's very, very visible, right? How many, you know, what's the look and feel of the mugs and what are we doing with, uh, you know, the specialty gifts and the, you know, the holiday packaging? It, it really lights up the store in a lot of ways. Um, but it's a small part of the business. And it's also um, a food and beverage company at, at its core, right? That's where the margins are. So, so being in merch is an interesting place. Um, we had big goals and, and uh, um, you know, we, we, the, the other challenge is that when you're opening so many stores every year, um, some of them right next to each other, right? The opportunity to sell hard goods gets their cannibalization occurs, right? So, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting challenge and it was a great opportunity for me to go from being kind of a, you know, brand manager, kind of theoretical, how do we, how do we treat this brand to, Hey, I'm, I'm actually responsible for driving the sales of this category. Well, I would call it contribution margin. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, a little more hands-on, a little more kind of driving a, a, a sales line. And so, uh, any early lessons from managing people in that role? Yeah, yeah, many. Um, <laughs> yeah, Starbucks is a great, great culture. You know, it's a it's a values-based culture, which which I really loved. Was uh, Howard still running the show then, or was that during his time out? <laughs> yeah, he was he was running the show. Um, I mean, Howard would come down and take a look at the holiday assortments before they, before they went on the floor. So he was still very active. Um, yeah, I, I learned a lot in that role. It was a, it was a great experience. Um, I think the main thing I learned is that I, I, I probably like a lot of kind of junior managers, I thought I had to have all the answers. And, and I, I realized over time that that really was not the case, that what I needed to have was the ability to bring people into a, an environment where we could all tee up the challenges and work on them together. And uh, really kind of learn about diversity of experience and skill sets. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a lot. What are some of the best or, or worst lessons you had from previous bosses during those Starbucks years? <laughs> you don't have to name any names. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot of turmoil and transition when I was there. Um, I think I had, if one time I counted them up in my, what, three, three and a half years there, I had about four or five different supervisors. Um, and so I got to see lots of different takes on, you know, how to get things done. And one guy would come in and say, just get it done. And the other guy would say, you know, you got to make sure you build relationships along the way. Um, so I can't really point to one, you know, one person uh, during that time, but, but I think I tried both approaches and I definitely found that being a bulldozer, you know, while I could get things done and then ask for forgiveness later, it, it wasn't really the best way to move things forward. Yeah. But you had some bosses like that, it sounds like, yeah, along the way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 So you kind of learned that co- collaborative, cooperative approach early on. How would you say your leadership style has kind of evolved over time as you, you know, found your way to the corner office? Well, I, I, I would say first and foremost, I have this fear of, of, of being a micromanager um, because that's, that's, you know, we all had those kind of managers growing up and I, I, I never want to be that guy. Um, I believe that we hire people to do a job and we need to let them do that job, right? And so when someone comes on 
board in our company, um, I spent a lot of time with them early on. Um, I do a 30, 60, 90 day success plan where they're getting a lot of feedback from me. Um, hey, here's what's going well. Here's what's not. I get aligned with is them. Is this on, just with your direct reports or do you do it also a level down? Just my direct reports. Yeah, there would be be too much to do this for everyone. But um, but I that's spent their a, responsibility. That's right. That's their responsibility. But I spent a lot of time with them, lots of feedback, make sure that that we kind of get on the right course early, that we get aligned on what the goals are for, for the company and for their role. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I, I have currently 13 direct reports, so it's a lot to manage. That's and then, a big suite. Yeah. So I, I, I can then take a step back and just be there as kind of their support function to say, Hey, I'm here to clear roadblocks. You know, what, what challenge are you facing? And I, a lot of times I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm the guy that connects the dots, you know, Oh, well you need to talk to this person or, Hey, let me, let me talk with this guy and see if we can get, get that, you know, block moved for you or that obstacle move for you. So, so that, that's, that's, you know, I, I, and, and some people flourish in that environment. Um, some people just love that, that ability to kind of like run their own ship, right. Run their own business. Um, other people don't, you know, yeah, other they people, need a little more direction. They yeah. need a lot more direction. And, um, and, and so I've learned that, you know, depending on the person, I have to be sensitive to, the fact that my management style, my leadership style may not work for everyone and I have to adapt for different people. That's a good segue in our next area, which is kind of company culture. Um, you work for some great companies. You know, I know Princess well. We've actually I've never had him as a client, but I've poached a lot of people there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the various hospitality <laughs> jobs I've had over the years. You know, I'm obviously very familiar with Ray Ban and Bausch and Lohm and, of course, Starbucks. Um, you know, terrific story. I actually interviewed for them, believe it or not, as head of their Asia Pacific region. Like you, I lived in Asia right? for about 10 years. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, I left actually in 98. So as you were coming in, I was on my way out, but I okay. was in Hong Kong for the transition, which was kind of an interesting oh, party. Wow. Uh, but, you know, now you're in the middle market and, uh, you know, been working with companies that are, of course, a fraction of the size. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on, on building a company culture, kind of where you've been, what you've seen, and then what you've either had to do and your role as uh, kind of the, you know, the leader or not uh, of, of company culture building within, you know, the smaller companies you've been with. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, in a small company, um, the, the leader very much sets the tone for that culture, right? I mean, you, every day, you know, the, the, the face you put on when you come in the office determines, you know, how those people are going to feel. And, you know, ultimately over time that becomes the culture of the business. Um, so setting that example and, and, uh, you know, being, being genuine, I'm not saying you put a smiley face on every day you come in, uh, being genuine, but, but knowing that, you know, the impact I'm having is, is direct on our culture every single day, every, every interaction I have, every decision I make. Um, we're one of the great things I took from Starbucks is having a, a core set of values. Um, I know at Starbucks, I think it was 10 different values. We started off there back in 2007 when I acquired the business outright, um, but it was too much. It was it was too much to remember, too much to communicate. So we we over the course of a, a, a management offsite for a couple of days, we we boiled it down to three core values that we use as kind of the guiding light for our business, and we talk about them all the time. Um, I actually have calendar items to remind my remind myself that. You know, I need to be talking about them often and, and communicating them over and over again. Um, we have competitions designed around uh, these different values. 
we have a recognition program that involves these uh, po- kind of poker chips. And on the other side of the poker chips are the values of the company. So we, we, we try to walk the talk. And, uh, and Was the merchandise sure, division yeah. kind of run as a separate entity? I know it was about $200 million in size. So in some ways, you kind of had a middle market company within the larger brand. Is that accurate? Or, you know, was, was Howard more involved in it than... <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, let me let me be clear. It's a, it was a category management structure. So there was the beverage department, which was billions. There was food, which was, you know, number two. There was whole bean coffee, which was number three. And then there was this little tiny business called merch. So, <laughs> right. yeah. And, and remember, that's that's retail dollars as well. So, you know, it's uh, um, it was it like running a business. It was like running a a sales organization in which we make our own products and then have to push them out to several thousand retail stores around the country. Does that make sense? But you had some flexibility, it sounds like, with regards to forming the culture there, which is good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So how much of that did you kind of bring to to Brent Haven and, you know, the work that you've been doing more recently? Sorry, Brent, let me be clear. The values that I'm talking about are the values of Brent Haven. Yeah, okay. At Starbucks, we didn't distill the 10. I'm I'm referring to the company I'm in now. Thank you. Brent Haven. Terrific. Then turned into Pioneer Square Brands, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and and yeah. Sorry. So, what was your question? Yeah. So, I was trying to get at that cultural uh, assimilation. So, it sounds like yeah, I misunderstood. I thought you had kind of taken the Starbucks core values and boiled it down for the merch division. <laughs> no, that that's kind of an interesting approach. That, that would get me into a lot of trouble. No, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. no, no I didn't do that. Instructors would yeah, allow that. Yeah, yeah, got it. Got yeah. it. Well, that's that's cool. Sorry, so that the, was uh, yeah, the that poker was chip and those types of things. That was all at, at the Brent Haven. Yeah, that was all all Brent Haven. We we. Um, uh, we hire based on those values. You know, at the end of every interview, you have to send an email to to the hiring manager saying hire or no value, no hire, hire or no hire, and you have to you know include in your description like here here's how I think this person would fit in with our culture and values. What would you say was kind of the most unusual thing or uniqueness about the company culture at Brentham? You mean when I acquired it or after right. I acquired it? Yeah, well after I think yeah, kind of more the impact during the time you were there. Well, those transitions are always tough. Um, I, you know, when I acquired the business, it was about 30 people in Bellingham, Washington, which is about an hour and a half North of Seattle. Um, I was the the, kind of the, the big bad corporate raider from Seattle. (laughs) I had to kind of get to know the team and show them that I wasn't that guy, right. That I was, uh, I was there to, to help us and, and, um, help them. Um, so I think, you know, probably the the most important thing in, in a transition like that is just being a man of the people. You know, I remember I went out and I worked on the warehouse floor for a day, you know, putting, putting bags in boxes and shipping labels and getting them out there for the UPS guy. Um, you know, I think you got to be willing to get your hands dirty uh, whenever you're leading an organization. You know, that's very common, Scott. We've heard that so often with other CEOs and, you know, it's a, it's a humbling experience, but it demonstrates your humility to the others that are there, but also, you know, you can feel their pain. Right. You're there and understanding that. Did you do that in other jobs? Was that something that you learned along the way at Starbucks or or Bausch and Loam or? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was very much a, a Starbucks thing. I remember we'd we'd do these these retail store tours and we'd go out and see how merchandise was being displayed in the stores. And I remember this this uh, sense of urgency to like make the merchandise display look better in every store I visited <laughs> and go pull stock from the back and merchandise, pull everything forward. Um, 
you know, clean it up, make it look right. So yeah, I, I've always been that kind of guy. Yeah, cool. That's that's a really really interesting and kind of a common thread we've seen with with a lot of successful CEOs. Let's shift the gears a little bit, and we're getting close to time, so I want to kind of get into kind of how you you know make bets on people. You know, what, what do you look for when you're looking to invest in people to join your teams? Well, the first thing I always look for is is are they really passionate about about the business, about uh, previous roles they've had, about the people they work with. Um, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, having a, a genuine interest in our company is, is first. And I, I, I oftentimes start by start off the interview just saying, Hey, tell me what questions you have for me. And the depth of those questions is a very telling sign, right? You know, right. not How just did they look they put into it. Yeah. Did huh? they look at the, not just did they look at the website, but you know, did they, did they think about how this is going to be a good fit for them? And are they asking questions that are probing so that they can figure that out for themselves? Sounds like curiosity is one of the things you look for then too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I always look for people that have kind of a genuine nature. Um, we just, you know, big egos don't do well here. Uh, you've got to be, you know, humble in the way you approach life. And so I look for people that I think are going to be coachable, um, that they listen, you know, that they're not just talking the whole time. So that's that's super important for me. And then I, I look for results, you know, and at the end of the day, we, we can all be, you know, genuine, uh, passionate people, but if we're not getting results in the marketplace, then we're not going to be in business. So I look for people that got results, hopefully in a similar role, doing something similar. Um, that's always a win. And, and, uh, uh so those are kind of the, the three things that I think about in hiring. How do you interview and hire? Do you prefer the one-on-one? Do you do panels? Do you let people kind of vet people within the organization before you see them? You know, what's your kind of strategy with that? For a small to medium-sized business, we've got a pretty extensive process. It starts with um, it starts with a, a thirty-minute phone screen with the hiring manager, you, you, and that's usually just kind of what questions you have and tell me a little bit about yourself. Then we move into some personality testing. Uh, we get those results back. Is that kind of like DIST or PXT? What, what types? We of- use uh, PI testing and PLI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it. PI is kind of the personality side and PLI is more the how quickly do you learn. Um, from there, if they, if they look like a good fit for the role and, and for our company, then we move on to uh, uh, in-person meetings. And usually that's a, a day of you know five to six meetings, one hour each with uh, key, key people in our organization. And uh, you know if you have... You know, just a very small period of time and assuming that this isn't a direct report, maybe it's somebody that reports to one of your direct reports or deeper in the organization. But, you know, they know you have a vested interest and you like to see them. Maybe it's a, a top sales position, perhaps, or maybe an important part of you know manufacturing or customer service. And you just have a limited time. How, how do you spend that? What do you what do you kind of probe for and look for in that uh, executive or that manager that's coming in? Emotional intelligence. Hmm. Yeah, I look for emotional intelligence. I look for people that they know what they do well. They know what their weaknesses are, and they're not afraid to talk about it. Um, they know that you know the the, the role they're going to play is not just the job they're going to do, but how they're going to add to the culture of the organization. So that, that's really what I look for. Well, Scott Armstrong, you've been very, very generous with your time. We appreciate that. We do have one last question for you. We yeah. like to ask this all the CEOs. And you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone that's got their eyes on the corner office? I, you know, I, I wish I had something really unique and different. I, I, honestly, what I've learned is that when you go looking for your job, say you're coming out of college, 
don't worry about the title. Don't worry about the si- the salary. Don't worry about your brand. D- just go find something that you enjoy doing. Um, and I really believe that if you do that, then work becomes seamless with your life. It's not hard to go to work. You look forward to it and you become great at it as a result. You learn, you're engaged, you're passionate about it. And ultimately, I believe the market rewards you for that that knowledge, that expertise, that love, that passion. So, you know, I, it really is about finding your passion. I think that's what's worked for me. Scott, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed uh, hearing your story and journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.